With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I've got George Belshaw with me live from London. I'm here in Melbourne. And we are just minutes after uh, the new Australian Open champion was crowned, Yannick Sinner, beating Daniil Medvedev 3-6-3-6-6-4-6-4-6-3 in a thrilling five-set final. Um, it was, as they say, a game of two halves. We will talk to Cowan about it tomorrow. He is otherwise engaged uh, because Luke Johnson, I hope I can tell you, is on way to a title in Belgium uh, with Skander Mansouri. It certainly looks they are setting a break to the good without incurring a disbury. I hope that that will cement places, cement Luke's place well inside the top 100. Um, massive congrats to him on that, by the way, because that's a, a huge uh, achievement um, and I'm sure he'll go much higher as well. Uh, George, it's nice to speak to you and hear from you. I know it's been been tricky getting hold of you during the Australian <laughs> Open, but that is that is the, the time zone issue that we find ourselves with. Um, we're going to do a big pod on uh, Monday and really kind of get down into the nitty-gritty of the Australian Open and we'll catch up on all of George's life news, of which I'm sure there is, there is loads, usually um, injury woe, among other things. <laughs> but, but George, let, let's just stick to first the men's final and then we're going to very quickly talk about the women's final as well. Um, you first said, I think this Yannick Sinner lad is quite good rather a long time ago, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I think when you're kind of on, on the tour a bit, you hear about players that are of interest and they're exciting. I remember going to watch him quite early on um, and thinking, this guy can seriously play. Um, I think the thing that kind of stands out about him for me is the kind of effortlessness of his timing. Like he he doesn't have like a huge frame. Like I think about other kind of huge hitters off the ground. Um, Calvin once kind of compared him in terms of ball striking to Del Potro. And if you look at the two of them, they're kind of completely different figures. You see Del Potro whack his forehand and you're like, yeah, that makes sense because he's just humongous. Whereas Sinner's like a kind of skinny little boy in many ways. Um, but the way he kind of connects, uses his levers to kind of perfectly time and hit the ball, uh, you could tell straight away he was like a really amazing ball striker. 
then the other thing that kind of strikes me about him is that it, it's always felt he's kind of willing to take his own pace to doing stuff in his career. I've never really felt that kind of huge pressure from him to rush straight to be world number one. It's felt like quite a gradual, slow build journey. We, we spoke last year about how getting Darren Cahill in this team has felt really important. You know, and Cahill's now taken Agassi and Halleck and him. Um, and there's one other who's now slipping my mind to... to Andy Murray. I mean, I did a bit with Murray, but not... Yeah, there's one, there's, there is Lane one other player. Hewitt. One of, Hewitt, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, kind of... Yeah, Cahill is a proven great coach um, and has kind of done it again. And I think he's done it in an incremental way with Sinner. Um, I guess my other kind of reflection straight away on this is like... How, how many times have we seen someone like Sinner have an end to a season last year where they've had the biggest moment of their career winning the Davis Cup and then just slightly flop straight afterwards? So to yeah. really cruise through, humble Djokovic, and then kind of keep his nerve when Medvedev was playing, I thought, a really good match. Um, I don't think Medvedev played a bad match full stop, to be honest. Um, I think you know it was a case of Medvedev played slightly above his baseline level in the first two sets and then probably kind of levelled out at his normal baseline as kind of Sinner pulled it up. Um, you know, but huge, huge credit to Sinner. And suddenly the men's game just feels really exciting, doesn't it, James? We've got kind of Sinner, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev. That, that's a good four all of a sudden. Yeah, like 18 yeah. months ago, it felt a little bit weak. And now it's like, this is great. I look forward to her catch against Bublik in the Indian Wells <laughs> final. And we're all wondering what's going on again. Um, yes, I think it is in a really exciting place. I mean, look, one for the narratives. Uh, it's always nice when you construct a narrative at the end of the season around Yannick Sinner, you know, a seminal moment beating Novak Djokovic. And then it turns out it really was yeah. a seminal moment. And, and I know people will always say, oh, it's overstated. but And it is too easy to say, but you, I don't think you can... And, you know, I'll go and ask Yannick Sinner this question in a few minutes. How big was that win over Djokovic in Malaga? And I'm sure, because when you phrase a question like that, they always say, yes, of course it was. Um, but no, I'm mate, sure... Nothing, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's irrelevant. I can't even remember it. But I'm sure that that will have had a huge Im- impact on him, especially because he'd had high-profile defeats. like, And he'd had big moments, you know, two-set leads that he'd blown and stuff. Um, obviously, notably against Djokovic. He'd lost Djokovic twice in a row at Wimbledon. He talked after he beat him in the semis about how much of an impact that had and how much he'd learned from those matches. Um, to beat Djokovic here, you know, he beat three top five players to win that title in the quarters, semis and final. I mean, that yeah. is a hell of a run. OK, one of them, Andre Rublev's never won a quarter final at the Grand Slam, but it's still someone you've got to beat and he's not, you know, he's not a straightforward player. And I think I put it on Twitter. I'm just seeing if I can find it. The world ranking of all Yannick Sinner's opponents on way to this title. 59, 1-6-1, 29-15, Like, that's, that's as pretty much, with the way the seeding system works, that's about as bad as it can get mm. for, a, for someone ranked at world number four like, like Sinner. It, it, it's pretty serious stuff that he can come through and win this. Um, Let's just talk about the match itself. We sometimes look at these five setters that go two sets one way and three sets the other and go, well, you know, Medvedev played well for two sets and Sinner played well for three. I think there was an element of that to this. Like, Medvedev came out, stood on the baseline, and Sinner, I think, was maybe taken aback by it and also didn't have much, you know, in response and, and then got into the match a bit. Is that a fair assessment? 
Yeah, I thought, I thought Medvedev was pretty aggressive in those first two sets by his standards. Um, you know, he he was taking the ball on a little bit more than he usually yeah. does. Um, and as you say, I think Sinner maybe was a little taken aback by that. I also wonder if there was a little bit of a hangover from that Sinner win over Djokovic as well in the first two sets. You know, sometimes coming from such a big high like that, feeling in your first Grand Slam final, like, God, this really could be my moment. Um, didn't feel like he was quite on his on his game. Yeah. I, I, for me, the kind of crucial moments really came at the end of that third set. Um, you know, there's a great clip doing the rounds on Twitter of Sinner kind of saying in Italian, I'm dead at four all <laughs> um, in the third set. And, you know, just keeping himself in front knowing that Medvedev has this scarring from these big matches. You know, that's his fifth Grand Slam final defeat now. He's the first man to have lost two Grand Slam finals from two sets up. Is that right? Um, You know, he he, he did just sense if Sinner could get a set, get his foot in the match, um, he he would have a chance here. And, you know, kind of so it proved. And as I said before, I'm not looking at this match from Medvedev thinking you played really badly in the last three sets. You know, he played one woeful game in the final set where he just looked absolutely knackered and missed one volley where it looked just like he was mentally, physically exhausted. You, know, you have to remember, he spent, I think it's like six hours more on court than Sinner as well. He mm. had a big kind of emotional win over Zverev in the semifinals. So whether that was a factor, I don't know. You just kind of felt Medvedev needed to get it done in three and that's kind of the case against Nadal when it happened a few years ago you, you know you look at both these matches and you're thinking there's no way Medvedev's going to lose this from from that position um but yes pretty pretty rough for him <laughs> yeah I mean I do feel for him but look that there is a skill in getting through those early rounds without expending energy we always yeah. say it and the greats are really really good at it and you know going to five sets with Emil Roussevori, even going to four sets. And, you know, no disrespect to, to Nuno Borges, but, you know, a, a really great player wouldn't necessarily have done that mm. um, and, and would have looked at that and gone, I should be winning that. Okay, he didn't turn up for two sets against Alexander Zverev, quite frankly. You know, Zverev played pretty lights out, but he was poor. And you've got to be able to maintain your level at every round in every set because it all adds up. Medvedev spent 24 hours on court at this tournament, just over. Like, that is a lot of tennis. No wonder he's getting his feet taped. Like, it, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of a huge credit to him that he went five sets in the final because that does tell you that he is fit enough to do this. But, like, imagine how fresh he'd have been if he dropped two sets in the first six matches. Like, yeah. he might well have just walked that final against Sinner. And as it was, he, he turned up and, you know, when push came to shove, right deep in the fifth set, I think he was pretty cooked. I don't think he had much left in his legs or in his brain. You know, he was gesturing to the bench just to get some get some glucose into him. He was really struggling. There was a 39-shot rally deep in that fifth set, which he just missed. And so many of these long rallies, he just missed a backhand at the end, yeah. like just a sort of a, a rally ball and then would be like hands on knees, you know, hurting. And I think that's a real sign. When you just miss those rally balls, it's just a brain fart, I think. I mean, I don't know. I've, no, I've never made a rally ball, so I couldn't tell you. But, you know, like my impression is that that's what happens when you get really tired. It's not just that you can't run a ball down. It's actually more that, like, your brain just runs out of energy and, and that becomes really difficult. Um, 
let, let's talk about Yannick Sinner a bit more. Where does this put him in the like the echelon? You know, does this put him next to Djokovic and Alcaraz, or, or do we still think of them as one step ahead? No, I think I think from his form for the last three or four months, right now, Sinner is as good as those guys. Um, it's, it's really important he's turned that rivalry with Djokovic around. That was the that was really the match where you were kind of thinking. You know, he gave Alcaraz a lot of really good matches, but Djokovic just seemed to kind of have his number. Um, so that, I think that was important mentally. Actually, similarly, he kind of struggled against Medvedev quite early on in his, his career, and this didn't look like a great match. Yeah, he lost, lost, I think, first six against Yannick Sinner. Uh, yeah. First six yeah. against Medvedev, and then has now won the next four. Yeah. Um, it, it, it has just felt like some of these rivalries amongst these guys have had, have been a bit topsy turvy recently. Um, mm. I think that's good. Like that's no bad thing. Like um, you know, we we want these rivalries. We want these guys to be playing each other regularly. We want to not know who's going to win. That, that's kind of the worst thing that can happen when you get into one of these matches and think, mm, I think Djokovic is just going to cream Simmer today. But this was like the first time I really came into a five set with Djokovic thinking. I, I, I was nervous for him. I, I felt he, I felt he was going to really struggle against Sinner. Not, not to the degree he actually struggled. You know, that was very Novak-like, and you know, maybe he's been a bit off all tournament. But you know, Alcaraz against Zverev is another good match. That you know, maybe you're slightly surprised Alcaraz struggles in that so much. Um, not in a bad way, but like, I, I think it, there is good sudden kind of depth amongst these kind of top five, six players. Um, that makes it genuinely quite exciting, and you know we, we'll speak about the women's draw. I'm sure a bit more length tomorrow, maybe a bit today. But you know the way that draw collapsed on the top half. Well, in some ways, you kind of get the excitement of the early shocks, but you do still want these mega matches at the back end. Whereas that didn't really happen in the men's side, and we were left with such a a great field. And you have to say the quality of the men's side from quarterfinals onwards. It's been pretty awesome. Like it's a, been a strong finish with a lot of good matches that gets people interested. And yeah, I think people know who Sinner is. They're excited. You know, they're thinking him and Alcaraz are going to have a great rivalry. You know, Medvedev. That's going to hurt. But he's he's what twenty seven. He'll still be kicking around for the next kind of four or five years, making it difficult for these guys. Zverev is getting back into good form. It feels a pretty pretty healthy place for men's tennis to be in at the minute and as you say James we're expecting Sinner Alcaraz to rise as the top two of that and really be the guys who you know dominate the sport and hopefully we get a grand slam final between them soon Novak will still be kicking around this year or next but you're starting to feel these guys are going to start pushing past him really and I think in the next 18 months I'd be be surprised if one and two weren't Alcaraz and Sinner to be honest Mm. And I think it's, and I've said this so many times, I feel like I'm probably boring people. It's so important they do it while Djokovic is still here and still yeah. strong. Like it, it, it makes a massive difference for the way we tell the whole story um, in terms, you know, because otherwise you just hold it over their head that, oh, well, you know, they never beat yeah. Novak. They'll never be like Novak. Um, so look, I hope Novak wins a couple more slams as much as anything else to like rub Margaret Court off the history books <laughs> once and for all. Um, but also because him being strong will just imbue this group of players that we, we've got at the moment with so much more glory um, than they're already going to have. Um, I agree with you, George. I think men's tennis is in a terrific place. 
Um, I don't think women's tennis is in a terrible place either, but I think the place we might find it in in about six months' time is with Arena Sabalenka, world number one, and, and holding about four Grand Slam titles. Because, I mean, I cannot remember since Serena Williams someone destroying a tournament the way Arena Sabalenka has destroyed yeah. this women's tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Sviantec's had a couple of good tournaments before where she's just blowing the field apart. So, you know, there have been moments for her. But I think, you know, we spoke again last year about Sabalenka. She's now, I think she's been to six Grand Slam semifinals or beyond in a row and is the first player since Serena to do that. You know, she is super, super consistent. And I, I thought she was brilliant this tournament. I really did. You know, the only player who vaguely held a candle to her was Goff. And you wouldn't exactly say that was... That is for media people. Even that yeah, yeah, You know, it was a hard match, but like it was still straight sets and you know, pretty, pretty solid yeah. stuff from Sabalenka. I mean, she she hits the ball so well when she's on it. It's just an absolute nightmare to kind of deal with. Um, you know, she's more, she's proving herself more consistent at the slams than Sviantec. I, I think Sviantec will win more slams, but she is more up and down, particularly in um, outside the French Open where she's generally speaking, a lot more kind of solid. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd be surprised. I think Sabalenka will be world number one by the end of this year. I think the signs were there last year. She had pretty much as good a year as Sviantec, even though she didn't quite win as many slams. I thought she played really, really well. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's by any means a bad time in women's tennis. You know, the big big four on their side of Rubakina, Sabalenka, Sviantec, Goff, that's not bad, but we just we do need them all to keep doing well in tournaments and not really having you know a final like we did, which was you know you, you can't really get to a Grand Slam final if you're not beating a player in the top fifty. I mean, that just no, I mean that that happen. doesn't help. I, I also think it's pretty it's a bit unfair to pick on Jun Shin Wen because yeah, like she she's a player we all have talked about for like, a while yeah. as someone who can be a top ten player, but also like. Her matchup with Sabalenka is so bad, yeah. like it, it because she basically is Sabalenka, but just worse, worse, like like quite significantly so. And and we say so often, styles make fights, and we kind of thought that might happen in Rebecca and Sabalenka last year, but actually it turned into a great final because they both played a really high level. And yeah, Jung didn't give the best account of herself. I've no doubt she'll be back. I was remembering when having a discussion with um, my flatmate Eleanor and my partner who has just arrived in Australia. Um, about um, like period anxiety in tennis. And I had remembered that Jung was one of the first players to talk about that. Um, you know, I think she can only have been 19 at the time, maybe. And she basically said, yeah, I lost, like, um, I'm on my period and I, I felt like crap. And, and you know, that's, that happens sometimes. And it was a big deal. And it was a particularly big deal because she was Chinese. And like in, in that culture, the taboo is really, really strong about talking about that stuff. So I think, look, I don't know, it, this might be a, a flash in the pan and junction when we never hear of her again. But I think she would be an amazing addition to that group of players because I think she's a really interesting character. Obviously, the Australian Open organisers here are wetting themselves about the idea of her being big because I cannot tell you, like, they already get a lot of very high-value Chinese individuals flying down to the Australian Open. Uh, on my way up to where I'm sat, I walked through a... a sort of private hallway where there were about um, 15 Chinese tourists part of the AO travel program who will have paid top, top, top dollar to be mm. here. 
um, and they get a special little bit where Yannick Sinner will walk past them and probably sign a few hats and stuff. Um, and the idea of, you know, China having a player in the top 10, you know, that Linar obviously was a massive deal. She, she obviously did really well in Australia. It's on the same, a very similar time zone. I think Beijing is only three hours behind Melbourne. Like, it's a huge deal for the Australian Open, but it's just a huge deal for tennis. And look, we've talked about the geopolitics of the WCA getting in bed with China. And crikey, we're about to talk a lot more about that in the next couple of months, I can assure you that. And it won't be China. Um, but the the idea of having tennis players from that country and, and tennis fans from that country, which is what we want, like we don't want to be involved with the regime in China, but we certainly want people in China to feel they want to play tennis and want to get involved with tennis. That's great for the sport. Um and I, I just hope that Zhang is the one. And and there are others. She's not the only one. But yeah, yeah. I think we'll see a bit more of her. And it's a shame that, well, may, we probably won't remember this final very much. But when, when yeah. we are called to remember it, we'll remember that, frankly, she was a bit crap and it was a pretty awful final. Yeah, and I think, look, it, it's, it's not her fault that she didn't beat a player in the top 50. It, you know, no. she played one who, who wasn't. <laughs> and that's the best player in the world right now. So, yeah. <laughs> she no, beat everyone else. Uh, yeah, you, know, you can only you can only beat what's in front of you. So it's not fair to kind of beat her with that stick. It's just more, you know, when you lost Ribakina early. I mean, Ribakina's draw. Genuinely, I looked at it. I was like, as long as she doesn't lose first round, there's no way she's not getting to the semi-finals. <laughs> and then yeah. obviously wins the first yeah. round, and then just completely um, spoils the sheets. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> want of a better phrase. <laughs> and then. Sviontek, I thought, had a lot of treachery in the first few rounds. I thought it, was, it did look a really tough draw. I wasn't that surprised that she kind of came unstuck, having seen that in some ways. Um, but it's more players like Svitolina and Azarenka who are then in good positions from there. Mm. Once they've seen those players go out and then just to kind of go out quite meekly. I know Svitolina kind of had a walk over three dub down or whatever, so not necessarily her fault per se. But I, th- I think that just encapsulates the issue quite often isn't it where it's okay to lose those big stars but you want you know and I think Zeng's a good place to have to do it but if she'd beaten someone like Azarenka in the semis for example that would have felt more momentous yeah. and kind of given her a bit yeah. more of a probably a bit more welly in the final as well I don't know I, yeah. I just I think if you go in that cold and haven't played someone of a really high level going into it it just happens, doesn't it? Like you, yeah, you turn massively. up and you're like, shit, what the hell am I meant to do against this? <laughs> it's like playing a different sport. I mean, honestly, watching Sabalenka up close, it is like watching a different sport. She yeah. is ridiculous. She, she, And she reminds me so much of Serena in the way that she's physically intimidating on the court, mm. you know, in the way she stands up on the baseline. Her big, She's got a big frame. Yeah. You know, she's tall. She's rangy. She's very physical. The, even the grunting. And I actually think she's probably getting close in some areas, to, to hindrance levels of grunting. Because mm. sometimes, I was listening very specifically to it the other day, and she was still going, you know, making Quite a noise late, when, yeah. when her opponent was hitting it. And I was like, that that is a hindrance. Um, Coco Goff said that she thought it was consistent and therefore didn't mind it too much. But yeah. I actually think it does get bigger and on bigger points. But, you know, there's lots of people who do that. But I think she might end up in trouble with an umpire at some point. Um but yeah, she's she's very Serena like in so many elements on the court, and I think you might see a bit of dominance over the next twelve months that that is quite Serena like. And you know what? We've tried everything else with the WTA. We've tried 
13 different winners and 14 different slams. Let's see what happens if someone wins all four of them. Let's see if that gets people excited. I don't know. Maybe it will. Because like, Irina Savalenka put to one side the Belarusian thing, which people find difficult to, you know, some people find difficult to deal with because they don't think she should be allowed to play at all. But set that to one side and she's a very likable person. She, she's always great in press. Like I've been in two of her champions press conferences now and she's always making gags about, oh, I better have another drink, you know, because she's got a glass of champagne and she's, oh, I better have another drink before I answer this question. Or maybe I'll talk a bit more after that. And, you know, she she's very bubbly. I don't think she's the brightest button in the box, but she's very nice to chat to. Um, she, she gives good answers. She she thinks about what she says. Like, you know, as I say, I don't think I don't think she's you know going to get a double first from Cambridge, but she does think about her answers, and that's so much better than I don't know Venus Williams, who so often just just sort of refuses to say more than a few words, and that's really important for for tennis as well. If women's tennis wants to drag itself out of the doldrums which frankly it has been in, then it, it it means people like her have to stand up in front of rooms of people and say, here I am, this is who I am, you know, <laughs> deal with it. And if that person is an introvert, then it, it can be difficult to sell to the general public. But Arena Sabalenka is not an introvert. We can see that. <laughs> and it, it was once her downfall, and I think now it'll be a great part of her success as well. So Forza Arena Sabalenka, I would suggest, <laughs> if, if you want the WTA to ex- succeed anyway. If, if if Calvin were here, he, he would be uh, he would be uh, I think spitting bile at the minute, James. I know, so I, know I know he's fallen out of love with her, but maybe we'll park that until tomorrow. Well, so this is the thing. I, I think <laughs> importantly, um, and we, I know Calvin will bring it up, but I think the important thing to say is that, and, and look, I, not not everyone is one color, you know. Like, mm. I think you can be good and bad, yeah. and no. there are good and bad things, and. I think what she said about Saudi Arabia is stupid. I think it's wrong. I don't think it's malicious. Um, I, yeah, I, I haven't got much more to say that would maybe be a bit unkind otherwise, but I, I think yeah, it's good and bad in everyone, George. Cal- if you and it tomorrow, don't worry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not filtering. I'm just, I'm just being fair. I know yeah. that Calvin tomorrow will not be filtering either. Um, <laughs> That's probably all we've got time for. George, thank you very much for um, putting James, off the brunch. I just brunch. want to say one, one more thing, if you don't mind. Um, of course. Because I, I know we did a really nice pod on Mike Dixon the other day, the last time I spoke with you. I did just want to say that Sinner winning today actually holds quite a lot of sentimental value from my perspective. I'm pretty sure Mike was the first person to interview Sinner properly. Is that right? Um, and I remember reading it a while ago and you know he was talking about kind of the name being a headline writer's dream and kind of detailing his story <laughs> coming through skiing and I think you know it's actually quite fitting that this young star was kind of first introduced to a lot of people um in the sport via you know one of its greatest ever journalists um mm. so yeah really nice kind of sentimental yeah yeah and 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 I, I I doubt that Lucy will be listening, but I was very touched by that um, yeah. Mike's wife Lucy got in touch to say that she and um, Mike's son Sam had listened to to the pod and, and enjoyed it. And she she very sweetly and I don't think I'm betraying any confidence here. She very sweetly said, "I, I don't know how it must have been so hard for you to do it." And I thought for her and everything that she's been through in the last two weeks to say to me, "Oh, it must have been so hard for you." I thought that was yeah. just just very nice indeed. So. Um, thank you 
to Lucy and to all of Mike's kids and friends and family. I've had lots of messages over the last few days um, and weeks saying saying how much people have enjoyed it. And if you haven't listened to it, it's called R.I.P. Mike Dixon. Um, I've taken all the ads off it. You can just go and download it and listen to it. Um, and I hope it portrays a little bit of, of what we knew of Mike. Um, a bit of a sombre note to end our last daily pod on, but I actually, I have, I'm still sad, obviously, but Dicko brought so, so much to these tournaments, to our lives, to tennis, to, to everything, that it, it actually feels nice that we've had a chance to celebrate him. Um, yeah, in some ways, even though it's been... it's been incredible, hasn't it? I mean, I oh. I've not, not seen anything like it on no, no, it's been journalist's um, death before. Yes, it's been incredible. Um, anyway, that's it. That's the Australian Open. We will be back tomorrow for our big wrap. Um, I've got a rush and find Daniil Medvedev. George, you've got a rush and find brunch. We'll see you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.